0: I'm Afshin Ratansi, and welcome back to a brand new season of Going Underground. Broadcasting all around the world, from Dubai in the heart of the Middle East, over 100 days have passed since the onset of the Anglo-American-backed war on Gaza. 65,000 tons of bombs, three times the power of Hiroshima, have now killed at least 24,000 Palestinians, mostly women and children. More journalists, all of them trying to bypass NATO nation propaganda and censorship, have now been killed in Gaza than journalists all around the globe in the whole of World War II. And yet, Washington and her client, European states continue to back Israel, now facing genocide charges initiated by South Africa and backed by the Arab League at the International Court of Justice. The Biden administration has been bypassing Congress to approve weapon sales to kill the children of Gaza, and in tandem with Britain, both backing Israel's strikes in Jerusalem and on Lebanon, Syria, and Iraq, they have aerially bombarded the Arab world's poorest country, Yemen, which de facto sanctioned Israel-linked shipping in support of UN resolutions on Palestine. Joining me now from Rome in Italy is former British diplomat Alistair Crook. He was once Middle East advisor to the European Union's foreign policy chief and is now director of the Beirut based conflicts forum thank you so much for uh, coming back uh, Alistair happy new year obviously not happy uh, Hi, uh, Yeah, it's obviously nice not a happy new you. year for many people um, I'm not quite sure if the scheduled attendance of the Saudi foreign minister uh, Prince Faisal is about Gaza Yemen or Ukraine He's scheduled to meet uh, uh, EU foreign ministers in Brussels how alienated from the world other US, EU, NATO allies, uh, after 4% of Gaza's population is now dead, uh, disappeared or wounded?
1: Completely divorced, completely divorced. The whole, particularly the Middle East, is boiling with anger. They see these images every day, and they see children that are dead, and they see bombs falling. They see the rubble, pulling people out of the rubble. I mean, it's it's horrific. It's disgusting, and so they're furious across the Middle East and in the Global South as well. I mean, it is a, it's actually stirring up a very strong sort of anti-colonial, um, if you like, sentiment. Besides that, so when you talk about the International Court uh, of Jurisdiction in in The Hague, um, for many in the Global South. It, it, it is also Europe and America and the West that's on on trial as well for for what's happening uh, in Gaza. I mean, it's it's right across. It's it's creating something really quite important, I believe, in terms of a a, a new sentiment, a sentiment of, you know, we've finished with colonialism, we finished with all of this, uh, hegemony, the rules order. Uh, we want to be sovereign and we want to be independent. Obviously, the
0: court, some people in the Global South believe, is under trial as well after it has been seen by so much of humanity as a court uh, for the hegemon, as, as you put it. And come to think of it, the court is in the Netherlands, which gave its backing, I've never heard of the Netherlands uh, Navy, uh, its backing for the um, airstrikes by Britain and the United States on Yemen.
1: Uh, Yes, I mean, uh, that's right. I mean, but in fact, I mean, uh, I think we should understand that it was actually a a vote against it by most Western states. I mean, Italy, France, Spain all said, no, we're not joining this. Uh, Britain, of course, (laughs) was at the front of the queue saying, yes, we're ready for it and we'd like to join. But no, I don't think you can see this as a great success in that respect. And it's also sort of rather puzzling because I don't think it achieved anything. In fact, I heard one person, one commentator, call it therapeutic missile strikes. (laughs) I mean, it's nice to know that they're supposed to be therapeutic. You might be trying that on in Gaza. But I mean, the therapeutic strikes, I think what he means and what the commentator was trying to suggest is, you know, again, this is the West trying to send a message. Now, what's the message? I think it's quite complicated because quite clearly uh, this conflict um, with Israel at the center of it, these wars, is about to become more intense. It's already widened, but it's going to become, I think, significantly more intense in the coming days. And uh, that, I think, means that Um, that it's almost certain that Israel, unless something intervenes unexpected, is going to try and push Hezbollah back across the River Litani. Amos Hochstein, the U.S. envoy, failed to get any political agreement, uh, and the Israelis have said repeatedly that they have all these displaced um, Israelis um, in hotels on the Dead Sea, and they've got to go home, and that means that Hezbollah has to be pushed behind the Litani. Let me just say that makes no political, military sense, because, of course, you know uh, Hezbollah's missiles are not confined to the 28 kilometers between the Litani and the blue line of the south of Lebanon. I mean, they have intermediate and long-range missiles, so it doesn't really make much military sense anyway. But that's what Israel wants, and that's what America has given the green light to it. So what I think is really happening is that in a sense, um, we saw to begin with the object of um, the White House was really to contain the conflict of Gaza, to contain it within Gaza and to give um, Israel pretty well a free hand to try and eliminate Hamas, as they describe it, in Gaza. But they didn't want it expanded. Clearly now they are coming to the conclusion it is going to expand very likely, and that is um, uh, into Lebanon. And so I think now what they're trying to do is sort of send messages to Iran and to Iraq, whom they've been threatening very strongly in recent days, to sort of say, look, you know, we don't want a war with you, (laughs) but don't get involved. Don't allow this to become more intense. Don't allow the war to widen. Because I don't think the United States Wants a war with Iran. They understand that that is a bridge too far, but they want to make sure of that, so they're trying to tamp it down in Iraq, in, in Syria, in um, in Yemen. And I think that was really the purpose of these missile attacks: was sending a message. Now, I mean, I don't think it was a very convincing message. Well, I
0: think some people would say it they did too th- much damage. Said, what they did was send a message to uh, that. Uh, international shipping and commodities were more valuable than the children of Gaza, and uh, premiums have gone up. They must have known there was going to be retaliation. It's not going to make premiums go down uh, in any case. But on your point about uh, Hezbollah, and of course in the past few days Iran has uh, conducted these strikes into Pakistan and, um, and Iraq and Syria, do you not think that, it, has it not surprised you, that Hezbollah, some people in resistance movements in the region may be wondering whether... Uh, There's a bit of bluff that's been going on since the victories of Hezbollah to save Lebanon in 2006 and so on. They're not really reacting. And some people saying, you know, uh, Iran is attacking these Mossad headquarters, you know, and groups like this. It should
1: be doing what Yemen does. No, I disagree entirely. I think what we're seeing here is there was an agreement amongst the fronts, the actors, the axis of resistance, or whatever you want to call it, uh, that the this uh, stage, this process that we're in at the moment, this conflict, uh, would be by consent, that all the parties would consent to it, but then they would be free to do what they thought was necessary once it had been cleared. And it was always this. It was a desire to avoid the sliding into a major war where we're going to see nation states all their infrastructure destroyed by bombing from the united states or from israel like we've seen happen in gaza so the aim was always to protect the nation state itself the structure of the nation state and that it would be, the, if you like, the, um, uh, the militia and the actors like Hezbollah and the Ansah Allah would be in the, at the front, and the nation-state would be, if as much as possible, uh, kept out of it so that it didn't slip into a major war. And the second part of it, and, and uh, Hassan Nasrallah made this very clear in his first speech, he said, we're only going to really get involved if we believe that hamas is in trouble is you know about to to lose its strength and that's not happening and he did say this time and we saw abu abeda who speaks for al Qassam brigades was saying look we've reached 100 days it's time to increase the intensity now this is a very calibrated process it goes you know step by step up the ladder so that it doesn't, if you like, bring uh, Armageddon war um, to the Middle East and destroy many people's lives and destroy needlessly the infrastructure of states and send us all back, you know, 20 years. So I think it's very carefully calibrated. And now we've moved to a, a period of greater intensity. We saw that with Iran striking both in Pakistan and in Iraq. And indeed, the Iraqis um, striking into Syria and against American bases in Iraq. They were striking at American bases in Syria, too, I should make clear. So, yes, we're in a... Yeah, yeah, American occupying troops. Yeah. Not uh, against the Syrian government.
0: Um, That may be clearer to those who live in the Global South and BRICS nations, and Shanghai Cooperation uh, Organisation countries. But you began, actually, by talking about the uh, horrific imagery coming from uh, Gaza. Uh, censorship in uh, Western Europe. I suppose we better just quickly talk about Western Europe, given you were the advisor to the uh, EU foreign policy chief. Uh, the sex crime allegations, the beheaded baby stories... Uh, they just sort of disappeared, I think, after a lot of people were casting doubt on them from the original uh, attacks uh, last year. Ursula von der Leyen has only said Hamas alone is responsible for what is happening. Similar support for Israeli genocide from the Council of Europe political committee. They are going to discuss it, apparently, uh, towards the end of this month. Clear that Western Europe uh, could be co-conspirators in any uh, conviction for genocide at the ICJ.
1: Uh, yes. I mean, this is the style of Europe now and of America. Uh, you know, the the main myth of, of the West, that somehow we are culturally uh, superior, that we've inherited this from Greek, uh, sort of, and, and that therefore, you know, we have the right, the mandate to lead the world, is over. And the West knows that, that states just don't accept that we are somehow um, have this... Um, Uh, election to leadership Uh, and so we see all the west is sticks to a narrative it tries to get the winning narrative what matters is we have the winning narrative and they have a clunky narrative which is not as good and we repeat our narrative from the top to the very bottom and everyone must say the same same narrative of course what's happened in in iraq uh, in uh, ukraine uh, and elsewhere, is you know that narrative is sort of descended into deception, into uh, blatant lying on the part of the West, trying to try and sustain these narratives. And so they say all these things. And of course, everyone understands, you know, when they say, as von der Leyen, I think, said, uh, Russia is losing in Ukraine. I mean, it's our nonsense. I mean, no one believes us. This is just her magical thinking. So this is, I, I, I mean, I think this is the case that we, uh, uh, we are suffering um, across the board. So all these things, Gaza, Ukraine, all of this, we must support the narrative. Otherwise, the West is finished because its myth is deteriorating, is fragmenting. And if it also loses the narratives, then we're over. It's done. Well, maybe that's what's coming anyway. And maybe it would be quite good for the West to go through a process of catharsis and to try and regenerate itself in a new way in this new era. It'll be not easy, not fun, but nonetheless, I think the West is so much in a in a state of decline and deterioration that we do need some form of uh, catharsis, something to, out of which some green shoots possibly can emerge. Alastair Crook, I'll stop you there.
0: More from the former advisor on Middle East issues to EU foreign policy chief Javier Solana after this break. (music) Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with Alastair Crook, former British diplomat and founder and current director of the Beirut-based Conflicts Forum. Alistair, uh, I don't know whether you were channeling Gramsci there because you are in Italy about uh, the new is uh, yet to be born at uh, the, the end of part one. Uh, since I'm speaking to you from the Middle East, uh, though, and um, clearly it's being watched the death of the old uh, very closely here, the response from Saudi Arabia and the UAE has to be nuanced, clearly, given rapprochement with Iran and Syria and what happened before Uh, Yemen now has the right to self-defense under the UN uh, Charter, clearly, whereas Israel has no right of self-defense, of course. Uh, Yemen has the right of self-defense. Israel doesn't. Uh, What's the likelihood of the US trying to use the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Qatari bases to launch their next uh, British and American airstrikes on Yemen?
1: I think it's highly unlikely because I don't think that any of those states really are looking for a resumption of a conflict with um, uh, Ansar and uh, Yemen. Uh, recall that they've all suffered, they've all been uh, recipients of missile attacks from uh, Yemen at various times when they've crossed a red line as far as the Yemenis are concerned. So I think, and as I say, you know, the understanding of the resistance axis is that it is not to cause a big war. It's not to destroy people's economy. It is a slow, if you like, squeezing of the Israel and the United States to the point at which they have to stop in Gaza. And it's also about changing the paradigm, breaking the whole paradigm. Um, But just to underline that, I know that Iran Uh, for example, which is a sort of principle in the resistance axis and sits in the sort of um, the control room, for the the operational office of centre for it, I mean, is always consulting and reassuring Saudi Arabia and making sure it's not in Israel, it is not in Iran's interest, it's not in Saudi Arabia's interest, Uh, to have its um, energy infrastructure destroyed, neither of them. And so I don't think there's really any likelihood that that's going to happen. Close
0: communication then, but uh, how aghast must uh, Beijing be looking at the uh, uh, destruction of world trade routes, which are going to be worsened by these British and American airstrikes, not uh, somehow things are going to be better for the Chinese economy because of this, and of course for exports uh, from uh, the Persian Gulf and GCC as well. So uh, you're saying there is communication, but they're kind of powerless to stop Britain and the United States worsening this crisis, escalating.
1: I don't think, I mean, China, of course, is watching. I mean, I think, you know, they have a long-term vision. And so they can see that what's going to come out of this is a new global order. And it's going to be a global order in which China and Russia are going to have a big say. So I don't think they're that despondent about it. But the other thing is that there are new trade routes opening. The Arctic route is opening. There are other routes, trade routes are opening. The North-South corridor is opening. Uh, There are a lot of things that are opening that um, uh, were intended always from the beginning um, to sort of lessen, decouple a little bit from the Suez Canal and from the choke points, which the West sits on. So I don't think, no, I think they understand what's going on perfectly well. I mean, there'll be some people who'll have some loss, but as far as I understand, you know, if it's Chinese vessels who are not landing in Israel or if it's Russian vessels that are passing through the Red Sea unhindered. I mean, clearly Scandinavian
0: membership of NATO uh, in the wake of uh, Ukraine. Uh, was part of the American response to to those Arctic uh, routes then. But then what about Mahmoud Abbas, who sits there in Jerusalem? We've seen this horrific situation in the West Bank in, in Jerusalem. Is American protection of Abbas all that
1: is really stopping this? Why is Abbas not being killed? I don't know. I don't know. All I can say is I think the West Bank is on the brink of explosion. Um, which could happen. It's not really on the knife edge. The tension there is huge. And I don't know. And um, is it American uh, protection? I, I don't know. I imagine it is. I imagine he's protected because he's you know useful uh, for the Americans and for the West. But I mean, he has completely ignored and disliked by 90% of the Palestinians. So, I mean, he's irrelevant. It's not really important. I mean, whether he sits in the mukata or not, I mean, uh, it's not something really to waste much time on.
0: And uh, as for the censorship in Western Europe and to American populations, maybe there's less censorship actually in the United States, because it seems to me that the demonstrations yeah. are bigger there for Palestinian solidarity than there are in uh, Western Europe. Um, Davos had a whole session on information warfare. Is it, are they beginning to fail, the big Silicon Valley uh, censorship organizations, high-tech censorship organizations? Are they, has Palestine managed to break
1: through the censorship? Um, not entirely. I mean, you know, sitting here in, uh, in Europe, and in Western Europe, I mean, the, the the first day of um, uh, the Court of Justice in the Hague was not covered by Western uh, media, mainstream media. I mean, BBC, um, Sky, they ignored it and concentrated only on it and returned to it only on the second day when Israel was presenting its defense. So it, it's still very much everything is locked down. You're not allowed to refer to the South African case that they mounted very cogently, I might say, from the particularly from the the, the Irish lawyer. Uh, she was um, fantastic. And she argued on on legal terms, which was really important and not just diverted into sort of solely um, emotional, uh, uh, feelings. Yeah, but, but so, Lincoln State
0: Department, when they were asked, I mean, they didn't deny it about being worried that they could be done for uh, co-conspirators. Uh, what happens then? I mean, uh, I mean, I suppose the International Court of Justice has shown such partiality in previous uh, years of its existence. Uh, can you really? Can we foresee? Blinken personally being held liable along with Joe Biden for aiding uh, genocide? And can we see countries like Britain and Australia uh, being told they they failed in their obligations to prevent genocide?
1: I think, you know, I think there are two aspects here. I mean, quite clearly, um, you know, we've had problems with uh, what is um, a criminal act in terms of the laws of war um, by this bombing of Gaza. And clearly Western states are, if you like, um, uh, involved in that. Um, and we have the same with the genocide uh, case. Now, uh, I think, the, as I understand it, they, it's a majority vote um, when it comes, but it may be sometime till it comes. Some, so it could be eight, seven or something like that or not. And uh, I don't think we're going to see America in the dock somehow. They still have a a privileged and exceptionalist Mm. position.
0: Even though they're not part of it. I mean, you were advisor to the EU foreign policy chief, your equivalent. I mean, you'd be advising Joseph Borrell. And I don't know whether you'd be thinking, preparing to, uh, you know, be done for
1: genocide because you'd be advising the EU foreign policy chief. What a situation. I I, I would be saying that the the European position uh, on what is happening in Gaza is atrocious uh, and is entirely wrong, Uh, and they need to understand. They can't simply um, uh, stand by their position that we stand with Israel uh, and rip everything of its context, as if, you know, the, the incident, what happened, only happened on the 7th of October, And there was no before and no wider context to this. This was just something that, you know, that was done by a small group. And and they attribute it like this. It's the same thing they do in Ukraine. You know, Russia suddenly, illegally decided to invade Ukraine. As if there was no history. As if there was no background. There was no 2014. There was no Maidan movement and coup d'etat. I mean, this is this is how they do politics uh, it, and it has consequences because the consequences is that they don't hear, they can't hear what the rest of the world is saying to them because they're saying, no, no, this is a narrative. This is what happened. We insist that this is a narrative. No, there's no question. There's no other, there's no othering of these exercises. This is a narrative. But when you do that, you can't hear. You, you you lost the ability to, to empathise or listen to what other people are saying. They can't even listen to what the Russians say anymore. No, 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 we don't, you always lie, we don't pay any attention to what you say.
0: I should, I should say that I...
1: I politics that way.
0: I started by hmm? saying the war journalists were killed in Gaza so far than in the whole of World War II. Gonzalo Lira, the US journalist. The State Department appears not to have helped a US journalist murdered by Zelensky's... Uh, Torturers, uh, so it appears from uh, Gonzalo Lira's um, parents. Indicative of uh, how little the United States protects U.S. citizens if they go against the narrative, and dangerous for U.S. nationals around the world if they do not agree really? with the U.S. policy?
1: I mean, of course, uh, for Gonzalo Lira, it, 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 it was lethal. Um, but for, I think, all journalists and indeed all people who comment and say things truthfully with any integrity are at risk. Yes, I mean, here in, in Europe, I mean, you know, you can be cancelled, you can be penalized in, in many ways. Or the most obvious one is that you're just smeared with some allegation usually an allegation of a sexual nature, in order to damage your reputation for good. So, I mean, this is. And in fact, um, the whole of Davos, their main topic, their paper that they sent out, was how dangerous it is and that we must do more to stop disinformation. I mean, it's mentioned time and time again about how what the main focus must be, how do we... 40% Forty percent of the world's population are going to election this year, and only ten percent chance of them getting it right. And therefore, we must stop disinformation and malinformation from taking root. Well, I think I mean, that's the whole theme
0: of this. Davos. Many many will be hoping that uh, yeah, Julian Assange's case uh, that comes in February is more important than than those people exactly. in Davos. Just finally, then so. The way you're talking, I mean, by the end of 2024, then complete defeat by, from NATO uh, in Ukraine. They may call it a stalemate still in British media. But I don't know. It's
1: already happened. It's happened. I mean, they've been completely defeated. NATO. But what
0: about China? They're going to desperately uh, start uh, going into the South China Sea, or they're going to be too frightened uh, and more concentrating on the U.S. elections as they heat up.
1: You know, China's in a different position from Russia because China is a big trading country. And, um, you know, it's learned some lessons. I mean, I was in Russia recently, and, you know, there are no channels of communication with Russia. I was told that at the highest level, that, you know, there's nothing. They treat us like the enemy. They sneer at us. And I think China looks at this, and it has no illusions about the United States. With the United States, States, sorry. with no illusions about the United States and China. But at the same time, they don't want to get into that position where you know all the channels of communication are cut because they are a big trading nation and they've got different interests. Russia understands that. China understands that. But they still work very closely together.
0: Alistair Crook, thank you. And that's it for the show. Our continued condolences to those bereaved by the UK-US-backed slaughter in Gaza. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Saturday. Until then, keep in touch via all our social media. If it's not censored in your country and head to our channel, Going Underground TV on Rumble.com, to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you Saturday.